0: The date is Friday, March 18th, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. It's that time of the year again, when I get to talk about one of my favorite games of all time, Bioshock Infinite. We'll give you some historical context and a brief review of the lore as we soar into the sky to visit the city of Columbia. So enjoy!
1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to your favorite show on the internet encapsulating all things entertainment. Let's entertain this. Entertain this. As always, I'm Alex. I'm
0: Michael. And I'm Nick.
1: We've been really hit or miss with introducing ourselves at the beginning of these shows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that we're cool. going to start putting a, a real fine pin in it every time that we start a show to introduce ourselves so that people know who we are. Because we're all from the same part of America, and though I know their voices don't sound the same to us, I think there's a good chance that somewhere people are like, these three boys look and sound the exact same. Yeah, for
2: sure, for sure. Just got to so, just gotta form that habit.
1: Just got to form the habit, got to get in there, got to get the job done, got to start a new nation, got to meet my son. Nick, do you have an episode for us today?
0: Um, Yeah, I'm pretty sure I do.
1: Can you be a hundred percent sure?
0: Uh show me yes. what a hundred
1: percent sure would look like.
0: Oh, a hundred percent sure? It'd look mm-hmm. like this.
1: That's great for the audio podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> could you I'm a hundred percent sure.
1: Could you describe for the audience what it was you just did?
0: So what I did to to show my sureness was mm-hmm. I gave a thumbs up. That's right. Big smile and a head mm-hmm. nod.
1: And that meant I'm 100% sure.
0: 100% locked in. We're doing it. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, Well, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but it's been two years since our inaugural episode that we released back in uh, March of 2020, if you can believe that.
1: I remember when it was one year and we were all like, are we still
0: still doing this? (laughs) We're still here doing it, you know? Um, So I'd like to begin, you know, how I do every episode by reciting our Pledge of Allegiance. You want to do that?
1: Okay, that that's not how we start every episode. And I one hundred percent don't want to do that.
0: I pledge allegiance to the I don't want to do this.
1: I don't think we should include this.
0: (laughs) That's kind of a weird thing that we did in school, right? It's kind of why we begin every day with the pledge of allegiance. Do you wanna
1: get into why we began every day like that? (laughs) Because I can get into it. I can get into why the government made us do that every day as impressionable children.
0: It's a little strange, though, right? Kind of a weird thing. Uh, At least in my school, we began every morning with the announcements, like, uh, today we'll be serving cheese bread in the cafeteria. Then they got right to the Pledge of Allegiance. Maybe it was the other way around, I don't remember. But if you're one of our international listeners, the Pledge of Allegiance is a series of words that are recited by usually young school children while facing the American flag with a hand placed over your heart. With all that said, I think I'll ask my first non-rhetorical question of the day, and it is as follows. What does it mean to be a real American?
1: Those pauses must be so funny for the people who <laughs> listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what was the question? Why is it so? What does it mean to be a real American? You live in America.
0: <laughs> is that it,
1: though? <laughs> that is all it should you, be. You
2: have an American citizenship. Okay, that's eh. even then
0: like,
1: even then it's gray. Yeah, yeah. I don't even think that that necessarily dictates it. No, no.
0: Um, there, you know, certain stereotypes associated with Americans in general. This is uh,
1: wild. This episode already. <laughs>
0: <laughs> once, once I drop like that one little thing, you're gonna be like, ah, okay, now I get it. I'm in. Uh, but. You know, the stereotypes about America, we all drive Ford F-150s, we we drink bourbon, we like burgers and fries, we own firearms, we watch football. It's whatever the stereotype is nowadays, but... All
1: of those things are true about a lot of people. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been two years since our first episode released, so... And I think we all can remember what it was initially about in the first time we've ever recorded, and that was Bioshock, right? Uh-huh. It's Which It's been time? two years... Yeah. That's a pretty long time <laughs> to do anything on a consistent basis.
1: Are we doing Bioshock again?
0: Talking all about Bioshock Infinite.
1: There it is. (laughs) It's that time of year again, folks. We're bringing it back. It's Nick's annual Bioshock podcast. It's the Bioshock Spectacular. We're finally talking about the third Bioshock. For the last time? (laughs) Two years. This has to be the last time, right? Yeah, I think
2: this is the last game, unless he's going to separate out the fucking infinite DLC into its own shit.
1: I don't think he will. Nah.
0: Mm, i wonder what he does next year yeah if they don't come out with the bioshock 4 by next year which they won't i'm holding on to it (laughs) please we'd have heard about it by now (laughs) they have to release it but yeah i'll probably be back next year with a with a little dlc dump i don't know we'll see maybe i'll move on to something else in march um so let's let's begin by putting michael in the hot seat (laughs) as we so often like to do no why michael (laughs) Have you played any of the Bioshock games yet?
2: I hadn't the last two times we talked about it, but I have mm-hmm. played Bioshock since then. Which one? One, two, and infinite.
0: You, you just played through them all? Yeah. I have a lot of free Damn. time. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Pat on the back for him.
1: They announced Bioshock 4 in December of 2021.
0: <gasps> yeah. So that was that rumored or was it just like
1: No, it's confirmed
0: okay looks like we can continue the podcast for another year
1: <laughs> as long as there's another
2: bioshock on the docket we can continue the podcast <laughs> but if there's not
1: well that's, that's february 16th at- 2022 bioshock 4 may get delayed as leaks suggest studio loses 40 developers
0: <laughs> that ain't good <laughs> We got to hold it's on to race. Now.
1: It's a race now. Will they finish the game first or will <laughs> yeah. we make it to next year first?
0: Guys, you have until March 2023. Please. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but right now we all know about Infinite. I hope you guys have played it. Um mm-hmm. Is there anything that stands out to you or what do you remember about it?
1: It's super meta. <laughs> yeah, meta? Yeah. It's
2: it's much more like on the nose about what it's telling uh, than the other Bioshocks.
1: I remember the tears mm-hmm. in time mm-hmm. yep. yep, that you would interact with, and I remember your companion, which was the first time you got like a full-fledged companion in yeah. a Bioshock game, mm-hmm. Elizabeth. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and she would go, Booker, catch! <laughs> and she <laughs> would just throw yeah. shit at you randomly, <laughs> and Book every time you would catch. <laughs> and then I know that I once bought a replica Skyhook because skyhooks Ooh. were huge when they first came out,
0: they're fidget spinners, um, right? They were giant yeah.
1: fidget spinners, but <laughs> skyhooks were the main source of transportation in Bioshock Infinite. That's right. You would use the skyhooks and then the sky rails to travel. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, lack of uh, sky trains, uh, notably, kind of disappointing. There was mm-hmm. a sky train. There's yeah, a there's-
1: sky train. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But no, they got nah. the, they got the quartet, uh, right at the beginning of the festival. They're
0: standing on oh, a little, no,
2: that was a gondola. Oh, it was a gondola. I mean, what is a gondola besides the
0: Skytrain? Uh, well, it wasn't, it's was more of a floating boat. If you want to be well, technical about it? That's what it looked like to me. Yeah, I'm no, not an expert. They were
2: sitting there and in this, like, what time period does this take place?
0: The, so this game takes place primarily in nineteen twelve.
2: Okay. In this nineteen twelve time frame, they have they had a quartet sitting on or singing on a gondola, singing yep. Beach Boys. Gondola. Yep. Gondola. Gondola. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah, but no, it was like they had a this quartet singing uh Beach Boys in the nineteen twelves. What were they that, singing? That was a little off, right? Yeah. Hmm, um, I don't about? remember the song. Um, uh, I may not
0: always love you. Yeah. Uh,
1: and then there was a bird in a birdcage. That's like one of the first choices that you get to make is whether or not you. That's get
0: the third choice, but who's counting? God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. <laughs> Fair enough. God Only Knows. That's mm-hmm. one.
1: God Only Knows what I'd be with Sky like Train. Really See, if you song. mix them, then you can't get sued by either. Yeah, or you get just, sued by both. If I don't know how the math. Yells
0: so. at the same time and sings the same song, then, maybe... then the
1: podcast will be a success. Yeah, <laughs> people will love listening to
0: it. This episode brought to you by Cacophony. <laughs> what happens if we all shout at the same time? It's a great product name. Cacophony, cacophony. Rise, of caco-
1: rise of Cacophony, Fall of Capitalism. Yes. <laughs> If we all scream, they can't sell us anything. And that's Bioshock Infinite. Nick, take it away.
0: Uh, no. (laughs) We all scream for ice cream. No. Uh, But this game, as you might have already figured out, serves as a completely different game when compared to Bioshock 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. So much so that I won't even have to summarize the previous two games, because I'll tell you to go listen to the episodes before. But I'll hint at the plot here by saying there's a reason why this game wasn't called bioshock 3 Mm -hmm. because it's completely different
1: (laughs) it's like bioshock 1 bioshock 2 bioshock the rest of yeah
0: (laughs) yeah it's like if we were to
2: give like a quick summation, it's like bioshock 1 and 2 happen in underwater city called rapture yes bioshock infinite doesn't so it's not called bioshock 3 (laughs) yes
0: for obvious reasons
1: (laughs) bioshock infinite Mm -hmm. not underwater not deepest depths of earth up high in sky, mm-hmm. highest, highest place. <laughs> yeah, big up, big ups is where we went.
0: There's a there's a meme that I think somebody shared, and it was a. I think this is an in-game Easter egg where it says it's a it's on a chalkboard. The crater direction is they put a house under the ocean for Bioshock one and two, mm-hmm. and then this one they draw a cloud and it's a house above the cloud, and they said yes, this. <laughs> I don't know just dumb that i thought of right now um but sometimes it's that simple <laughs> yeah really <laughs> <laughs> but uh those two games those two episodes are full of great content and uh maybe a couple of mystery mouse tools that'll help us out later i'll leave it at the fact that these games are packed to the brim with beating that you might not have picked up on as a high school playing it for the first time in 2010 or 27 2007 i just really say that uh, 2007
1: <laughs> is when it came... That's not true. It came out in like 2014 or 15.
0: Mm-mm. The first 2013. game was released in yeah.
1: No, I'm talking about this game.
0: Oh, this one came out in 2013. Yeah. 20,
1: 2013 20, You are 2013, an alien from another goddamn planet. You'll never convince me otherwise. <laughs> 2013 makes sense, because I definitely played it in high school.
0: Yeah. Um, but in those two games, there's philosophies, there's ideologies, there's ideologues, all hidden within the game. Mm-hmm. In this game, Bioshock Infinite, we have some different ideologies at play and what some might even call idolatry. But as you come to find out, it's a reflection on the good old US of A. So you might not have been seeing seeing these uh, subtle hints and maybe not so subtle hints of how our our great American nation interplays with the world and our wild and crazy society. While before, in the previous installments of the Bioshock series, we had individualism versus collectivism, capitalism versus communism, in this game we have some tougher concepts. They're not tougher to understand, but maybe they're harder to see, because we're blinded by some of the things that we see every day as Americans. And it's not just because every American is cool as heck and has to wear sunglasses at all times, it's because... (laughs) There are these little nuanced things that maybe we don't necessarily see all the time. We're we're so used to seeing like the American flag paraded around, waved all the time that are like, that's that's a weird thing that other countries don't do at all. So, what exactly is Bioshock Infinite for those of you who have been living under a rock? <laughs> well, it's a video game that came out in March 26th of 2013. It's kind of a happy accident that this episode happens to be released, um, almost right before this, nine years almost to the day. And in some ways, it can be construed as a sequel to the other Bioshock games. It keeps the first-person shooter level-based mechanics and elements as it did before, and keeps all the gameplay uh, that you might have been craving from the other two games. You got a gun, you got a magical power in one hand, and you shoot it at enemies. That's pretty much all it is. But this time, you have an entirely new setting. Mm -hmm. And granted I was a little apprehensive about this. I saw the the release trailers um I think the earliest one was released in 2012. So I was pretty pumped about this game cuz by then I had already played BioShock 1 and 2. I was a little apprehensive about it cuz it was in the clouds. I thought oh, you know, it's not going to be that scary cuz BioShock games kind of they're they're down in a city underwater and it's scary just cuz it's so dark and anything could come jumping out at you and it has that horror aspect to it. So be missing that in this game but it's a city in the sky and that can't possibly be scary you know where's the water where's the spooky big angry drill man yeah there's no dark
2: it's not like the sky is the opposite of claustrophobic (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) you look out there it's a pristine blue sky with white puffy clouds you think well surely nothing bad can happen here (laughs) well (laughs) I was in for a treat so the game starts with a black screen, as most games do, I guess. <laughs> you have to turn on your TV to get it to play. After all, but um, you get this dialogue between uh, a woman who you don't know yet and Booker, who is assumed to be your character. You play as Booker DeWitt, and a woman asks you, Booker, are you afraid of God? And he says, No, but I'm afraid of you. And then a quote appears: "The mind will." of the subject will desperately struggle to create memories where none exists attributed to a R Lutess, from a book barrier to transdimensional travel published in 1889. So already you can see some weird stuff is going on. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, That's a quote. Of course, it's another mystery mascot tool that'll help us later, but those are both two huge deals later on in the game. But in this first playthrough, you just kind of gloss over them as kind of a neat item, I guess. Um, Really not much thought put into that at all. And then you start the game, and I got a little giddy when I saw the first lighthouse because <laughs> you there's know There's always a lighthouse. About, mm-hmm. There's always a lighthouse. Every single game. Well, I guess not Bioshock 2, but Bioshock One begins with uh of course a plane crash and then plane crash
1: and then the ocean's on fire.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> there's fuel spilled by the airplane that crashed. And that um, makes
1: sense, like in a sort of post thought brain, like you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, But <laughs> when I first saw it, I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why is water on fire? This makes no sense. And
1: honestly, that's probably exactly where they want you, walking into that
0: game. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the less you know, the better. Um, maybe. It's debatable. Um, so you see this lighthouse, and it's storming. You're out on a rowboat being paddled to this lighthouse by a man and a woman wearing this yellow kind of fisherman garb. I guess that's what ponchos were back then. Um, it identifies you as you're off the coast of Maine and the year is 1912. Okay, got that much. Cool. Then the woman turns around hands you a box and it says property of 7th Cavalry, wounded knee, Booker DeWitt. Now, in retrospect, this game is kind of spoon-feeding you little plot points mm-hmm. that'll help you out later on in the game. But you might not be aware of them the first time you play. You're just, oh, okay, so... Seventh Cavalry, Wounded Knee, you know, that can mean anything. Of course, you find out... Is there a
1: battle of Wounded Knee or something? That's Mm -hmm. right.
0: These students of history will know that... um... So, America did this thing that's really not cool to the... um,
1: When we took their land.
0: Native American people. Uh, We took their land, and they didn't like that, so... (laughs)
1: Because they had a right to not like it. Of course. We should all be clear Mm -hmm. and honest about that.
0: So, we sent in the army to... um, forcefully remove them from the land and that's when you get things like the Trail of Tears there's a whole bunch of massacres that happen
1: was this Andrew Jackson
0: Uh, part of it yeah it started with him because you hate that guy (laughs) it started back in as soon as we started pushing west of the Mississippi that's when we started taking more and more of this land and Andrew Jackson uh, was definitely a part of that Um, George Armstrong Custer and the list goes on there's a bunch of famous names out there You probably heard of Custer, right?
1: (laughs) Custer? I barely know her. Next.
0: Nice. (laughs) (laughs) You have Custer's last stand. It's a big thing, but uh, that's that's neither here nor there. Look it up on your own time. But inside this box that the lady hands you is a pistol and a picture of a girl. And on the back of this photo, it says, Bring to New York unharmed, written on the back. So there you go. That's a reason for doing the game. That's the big plot point. You got to find the girl, bring her back to New York simple as that, right? You kind of gather that you're some sort of private investigator guy on a mission to find this damsel in distress. It's it's a very vogue plot point for especially this time period, and it's deeply problematic. So to kind of fill in the the blanks about this damsel in distress business, I'm going to bring in our fact checker, Chloe, to give us a brief history of this trope.
1: Is Chloe just good to go with this information?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about it we're in oh, previously.
1: Is <laughs> <laughs> this while I was playing Grand Theft Auto online? No. Mm-mm. Okay, great.
0: <laughs> Talk behind your back. Why would we do that? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs>
1: so, Same reason that I bought a drone behind Chloe's. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> what, what would I have said? Like, no, you can't buy a drone.
0: <laughs> uh, good point. How dare you spend your money? <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's harder in cash, baby. Anyway, um, the damsel in distress trope is kind of led by this idea that Women, you know, need to be in like a subservient role, if you will, and that a man or multiple men or another woman. an ogre and a donkey will go to a woman who is in some kind of precarious situation. And, you know, sometimes it's driven by lust or love or kinship or the promise of some kind of reward. Um, and, you know, oftentimes the woman is perfectly capable of saving herself, but the man being the rescuer allows him to fulfill this patriarchal need to protect and serve the woman. And this archetype kind of promotes qualities that traditional women are supposed to have like the being subservient being pure being innocent being delicate domesticated so all of this stuff kind of fuels the damsel in distress one of the most famous being like the character anne from king kong Mm. or like mj from spider-man is very often perceived as a damsel in distress even though she's perfectly capable so
2: yeah yeah it's like the first half of shrek
3: yeah (laughs) that's what i said a man or multiple men or an ogre and a donkey you know like it it can be all kinds of variations on the the basic formula Mm
0: -hmm. that's what this game is it's a (laughs) it starts (laughs) out like a damsel in distress film and then things happen and you find out this damsel doesn't need rescuing at all so that's that love that for her Way to go, Elizabeth. Bye, guys. Okay, bye. Thanks for telling us about that. Hey, good Um,
1: call bringing her in to do it, because you would have sounded like a real ass trying to explain
0: it. (laughs) (laughs) See, men need to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not, I don't have the uh, proper accreditation for that. So where do we leave off? The lighthouse? So you make your way to the top of this lighthouse. It's an old, like, you know, kind of vintage-looking lighthouse. It's not like the one you saw in Bioshock 1. So, um... They lose points for that, I guess. <laughs> but this time you make your way to the top of the White House as opposed to going down a spiral staircase to a bathysphere. And uh, you um, you hear all this music going on. There's, um, I think there's My Old Time Religion playing. Uh, bring us the girl and wipe away the debt is sp- sprawled over the wall. So once again, it's hammering home this message of you have to go rescue the girl and wipe away your debt. Uh, so he has some sort of debt to pay. You know this much. So you get to the top of the white house and you get strapped into this rocket chair thing <laughs> it's pretty bizarre um and then you just get blasted off into the clouds and there you go there's a the city of columbia
2: that that scene <laughs> where you get like sent up there is so good oh, yeah. so
0: good yeah the, the
2: little pause followed by the gentle hallelujah so yeah. <laughs> good
1: it is absolutely nuts that it is almost entirely first person yeah that yeah. whole cutscene that's what makes it like freaking crazy
0: yeah I got like the reverse ODST thing like because you know how ODSTs are sitting in little pods and they're that's a Halo reference some people will get that but it's it's you're going up instead of down so it's it's kind of nerve-wracking because you're like where the hell am I going am I gonna die hmm. and he's struggling to get out of it because he's strapped into the chair too and a really tense moment and then you you just pop up over the clouds and there's this lovely city all shiny and bright
2: yeah because like from from first impressions outside of like being when you first get there and you get like baptized and all that like first impressions (laughs) of the city is like oh wow this place is pretty
0: cool yeah yeah uh yeah it looks like it
1: looks like main street and disney
0: yeah, it's not well, like not
1: like Bioshock where it's like you get there, it's
2: like oh everything's run down and dirty and claustrophobic. It's like oh everything's exact very opposite. clean. Everything is very open. Like people yep. are happy. Like what's
0: going on here? Because <laughs> you, you you look at the game, you're like I'm not playing Bioshock. What? Yeah. <laughs> what's all this happiness going on here? <laughs> people should be miserable and underwater. <laughs> um. So I mean, right there, there's there's a ton of talk a ton of stuff to talk about within the first, like, five minutes of the game. Um, but before we get to more of the plot, I'd like to talk a minute about American history. You might be wondering <laughs> why I'm talking about American history and what it has to do with the video game. Well, it's twofold, because A, I love American history, and I want to talk about it, and B, <laughs> I have to talk about a little thing called American exceptionalism. mm. You guys heard of this? I have I've heard of this. I just now
1: realized how excited I get for these episodes because these are really like entertaining for me. How <laughs> Nick like delves between the Bioshock games and American history. Yeah. Like this is Nick at his prime. Yeah. Please continue.
0: <laughs> I'm loving it. Um you guys want to take a stab at American exceptionalism and define it, or do you
1: Is it that we're brainwashed as Americans to believe that we're <laughs> exceptional when we are absolutely not and we're just about standard for the world.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit of that. Um <laughs> cool. it's half it's a the, point. It's the belief that America is inherently different from other nations. Um it's
1: Oh, pro- okay. I was I was on the right track.
0: <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. you were. So half point there. Um but its proponents argue that values, political system, the historical development of the United States are unique in human history often with the implication that the country is both destinied and entitled to play a distinct positive role on the world stage. So that's where you kind of get this uh, American interventionism a lot, uh, especially in like the latter half of the 20th century, because we have to share our great gift with the world. I mean, look at us. We're we're doing great over here. We have to go police the entire globe. Um,
1: I want to see a story where like it's about Superman, but if nobody wanted him to help save the day like if he was like every time he came in he like killed a bunch of citizens but he like saved the kid who was falling and like at the bottom there's like a bunch of firefighters with their like trampoline thing that they catch falling people in and they're Mm -hmm. like you killed so many people and we were right here and he's like you're welcome and then he flies off that's what it feels like
0: call him like uh i can't call him captain america but you can call him like super super saver (laughs) super american
1: (laughs) That's not coined by Walmart yet, right?
0: Uh, can't be. I haven't seen a trademark on it, so you're good. Great. <laughs> but there are two words that are kind of problematic in that definition that I just read you. Um, actually, the entire thing is kind of problematic. <laughs> Correct. And totally not true, of course. There's nothing exceptional about us. We're just another country. Uh, but it is something interesting to dissect and explore. So let's take a look at this American exceptionalism through the lens of our founding, as you know, we we were a British colony at one point, the thirteen original colonies, and we decided that we didn't like King George taxing us on tea and sugar, so. <laughs> <laughs> We had a little tea Sorry. party
1: <laughs> This is the first time in my life That I realized that the reason we became a country Was because we were like, man, fuck taxes Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> pretty much
1: Like I knew that from history But it's funny when you put it in context Especially because right now is tax season yeah, And I'm getting, also like, man, fuck taxes
0: <laughs> We're getting shafted, man <laughs> I mean, there's a couple other things too this was, a, this was a slow boil As I've mentioned probably in previous episodes It happens like Starts in 1765, the heat starts getting cranked up a little bit and a little bit more, and then 1776 is the summer when things just all hell broke loose. Uh, for the good, for the good of uh, America, of course. But there are people out there, um, especially in this game, where who who flat out worship our founding fathers, and this is known as idolatry, of course, because you worship an idol. Um, but one of the first level in the city of Columbia, it starts you off next to these big old three statues of. Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, and Benjamin Franklin. Um, two of those men actually go on to become president. I'll weave you. This is, a, this is a fun trivia. Can you tell me which one is it?
1: Ben Franklin.
0: <laughs> you guys are so smart. <laughs> 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 but uh, the name Columbia wasn't chosen in a vacuum either because it was chosen in reference to the female personification of our country. And it's also a tongue-in-cheek reference to the eighteen ninety-three Columbian Exposition and World's Fair. You guys know anything about this? Ring any bells?
1: That's where Walt Disney displayed his perfect utopian city. <laughs> no. My clothes?
0: Okay. I think Walt Disney was actually one of the people in attendance in the in the World's Fair, which kind of like led him to
1: Well, he presented stuff at the World's Fair too. Like It wasn't this the, one. <laughs> the Hall of Presidents that is in mm-hmm. Disney World was originally called Moments with Mr. Lincoln, and it was an animatronic that was presented at the World's Fair.
0: Wow. It was not this World's Fair, though. Yeah. <laughs> that was 1930-something. I was trying
1: to loop it back around to Main Street Disney.
0: It, yeah, that's where I think he saw all this as a kid, and he was like, wow, someday I'm going to make a, a an amusement park just like this, or something along those lines. <laughs> um, but back then, in 1893, America wasn't really all that exceptional, and some would argue we still aren't. But... They, we sure thought so. and Damn it, we have to show everyone else. So <laughs> it follows a trend of these other nations at the time. They came to the World's Fair, and they thought they were hot shit too. It's, it's something called nationalism. Everyone thought they were the bee's knees, and that kind of continued throughout the world until World War One. When after that, European countries saw the damage that extreme nationalism had caused, and they kind of shift away from that because they see what, it, what, what happens after that. So... America does not because we're spared from a lot of the uh, the bloodshed and uh, damage that came from these world wars. So we continue on being our nationalistic, patriotic selves uh, for quite some time. And now that we get chosen to do a World's Fair, it's back in the day when it, this was quite a spectacle. Uh, nowadays, World's Fairs are just kind of like, I guess they're still going on, but they're not that big of a deal, right? Um, and it's been said that 27.8 million people visited this event from May 1st to October 30th. So that's a pretty short time window, and that's a lot of people, especially back then when we didn't have, you know, reliable means of long-distance transportation. You had to take the train. Um, (laughs) It signaled the rebirth of one of our largest cities after it burned to the ground in 1871. You know, Chicago burned to the ground. I think Boston had a big fire, too. Fires were, like, big deals back then. They leveled entire cities, so... To have this World's Fair be in Chicago, I mean, just 20 years after the city was leveled, and you see this giant white structures and neoclassical architecture everywhere, like that, this is a big deal. It showed, like, hey, America's back. Chicago's back. We're back on the world stage, and we're going to be doing everything right.
1: Is this also when the serial killer came to be?
0: Yep. Yeah, so Devil the in the Devil White City. The Devil in the White
1: City, yeah. <laughs> the one who was basically just doing life insurance fraud.
0: Yep. <laughs> he does this thing in this uh, this white city. Um, and it's it's called that because all the buildings were painted white and they were all adorned in this. They
1: were like, look, no, no ash, no scorch marks, no burns. We're here.
0: <laughs> yeah. We did it. And as you know, uh, you know, cities were pretty dirty back then, especially with all the the coal burning trains going in and out of the station all the time. Um so being white be, having a white building was a big deal basically back then. It
1: basically meant like I think they were kind of like, "Hey, look, it's a new city." Yeah. It's, it's a, a new white one. city.
0: It's new, it's pristine. There's gardens everywhere. Um, they use this Beau arts style, which is similar to neoclassical style. So, you know, a lot of the buildings in Washington, D.C. with the, with the big columns and the, the parapet on top and the dome and all that. Mm-hmm. That's what that's kind of what they're going for here. There's slight differences between the two, but we're not going to sit here and talk about architectural theory. <laughs> but it's meant to showcase what a typical American city ought to be like. It was very clean. It was modern. It's considered the first example of a comprehensive planning document in the nation. The fairground featured grand boulevards, classical building facades, lush gardens, and it was, you know, all within this rational um, neoclassical Beaux arts style. And as a result of the fair's popularity, architects across the United States were said to be inundated with requests by clients to incorporate similar elements into their designs. And this was the first World's Fair where inventions like the electric light bulb came into play and amusement rides like the Ferris wheel were debuted. So, Back to this game that we were talking about. The, the The city of Columbia was first showcased at the 1893 World's Fair. It's a little alternate history, of course. We we know that the city of Columbia wasn't actually there because there'd be pictures of it, right? A floating city. Can you imagine? Everybody be snapping pictures of that. Um, but just entertain it for the for the minute. Um,
1: there weren't a lot of cameras back then. No, honestly, I was thinking about that today. We are absolutely ridden with cameras in our world now. <laughs> oh yeah, and like back then if you wanted to take a picture of something it was going to take you probably a good 10 minutes to set up the machine that would take the picture mm-hmm. and even then it was hard to get like a good picture if the lighting wasn't right you couldn't just like you know
0: yeah you had to develop the film afterwards too and that took like a couple of days so you couldn't and see you could the mess picture. that
1: up you could absolutely <laughs> mess up developing the picture <laughs> we take it, and for then granted just be gone.
0: it is to just snap a picture you know um that's it's, I know I sound like an old man ranting about this, but <laughs> film has a very particular place in in the history of uh, photography. So uh, we're showing off our big you know city of Columbia that it floats in the sky. After this exposition, the city floats off to various other places across the the American land, and it showcases off our ideals and our values. But how does the city float? You might ask. Well, it's a little sci fi thing called the Lutes particle. Remember that guy that I read the quote from in the, in the first little game there? Yeah. Arlutess, <laughs> that's him. They invent this this particle, um, and it causes uh, it causes things to just remain stable in the air, which is funny because all the buildings you see are bobbing, so it can't be that stable. <laughs> but anyways, uh, it's it's a particle unaffected by gravity. And I mean, if you're paying attention to physics class, you'll know that the only particle that can be unaffected by gravity is light, the luxon. It's just an interesting physical note because they have no mass.
1: And helium.
0: (laughs) Helium is buoyancy. That's a completely different thing, but.
1: Okay. (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) But uh, Columbia spends a few years parading around the the United States. It it takes, you know, goes on a little road show, I guess. But Columbia gets into a little trouble in 1901. Um, There's something called the Chinese Boxer Rebellion. And any students of history know what this is about? The Boxer Rebellion? No? Nope. (laughs) I'm setting you up for a joke here. You can talk about men's undergarments, how they're called... Not going to take it. Just keep
1: going. (laughs) Damn, you didn't take my bait. I hate that.
0: (laughs) But basically, uh, what this was, was a reaction to Western influence pushing their luck in China. Um, There was a group of nationalists known as the Boxers... Who wanted to push this Western influence out of China because they were causing all sorts of havoc and trying to sell products and stuff like that. So that's pretty much what the Boxer Rebellion was in a nutshell. But the city of Columbia gets involved because they um, they go to the city of Peking and they just open fire on it, killing civilians, leveling building buildings. It's, it's not cool. And in response, in July 6th of 1902, Colombia succeeds from the Union. And the following year, disappeared into the clouds, never to be seen again. So <laughs> you have this runaway state floating city that can level entire cities just floating out there. Like, what do you do at that point if you're the American government? There's not much you can do because it just disappears into the clouds. What are you going to do, chase it down? You don't have airplanes yet. So <laughs> you're kind of left in this awkward situation like, yeah, Columbia is out there, but they come back. <laughs> It is
1: wild that in this world we are led to believe that the first thing that they did with these atoms that defy gravity is build a community (laughs) instead of building a source of transportation. That is a wild thought, and I get that we just kind of have to swallow our logic there and accept that that's what happened, (laughs) but they definitely made hoverboards and planes first, and then they were like, maybe we could put a house on it. Like... (laughs) That's the order for which this happened. They didn't start at houses and then go, what if we did a whole city? Yeah, Like, that's bullshit.
0: (laughs) These houses are going so well, why don't we just build more?
1: (laughs) Guys, maybe we could put them on our shoes and then we could fly. Shut up, Larry!
0: (laughs) They push them off the side. Get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the beginning of that meme. Yeah, that's what it was. They're in the conference boardroom. (laughs) Just push. (laughs) It could have been, who knows? Uh, but the leader of Colombia, he's a man known as father Comstock and he's, uh, he's kind of this older guy. He's got a white beard. You know, he looks very authoritarian and patriarchal and all that, but, uh, he's taken over complete control of the city. He was kind of in charge of the decision to a, go to Peking and be kind of interventionist in a time where America really wasn't that interventionist. And he, uh, takes control over the city and he rallies all the people around him to his beliefs. And he goes about creating this ideal society. So there we go. We have another utopia. <laughs> From the original Bioshock games, the, the utopia was all about capitalism. And this particular game, mm, it's more about faith in America. Yeah. So get this. it's America isn't American enough for Columbia. They wanted to be the most American they could possibly be. So they dropped out of America to be the more American America. <laughs> Did I say America enough times? I hope they're paying me. <laughs> Uh, But seceding from the Union hasn't ended well for other states. You know, the South tried to do that. But this time, they can escape into the clouds, so they get off scot-free. So American history class is over. We can ring the bell. (laughs) You guys are dismissed. We can talk more about the plot now. Um, So it's already been established as soon as you get launched into the air in this uh, rocket thing um, that you're playing as Mr. Booker DeWitt. And you've arrived here in Columbia on some kind of uh, temple, as soon as the rocket drops down, you get to see the city. You're in this temple kind of place of worship type thing. Um, it's evidenced by stained glass and candles and stuff like that. Stuff you might find in a church, right? And there's this dude, Father Comstock, who's portrayed in all these stained glass murals. He's obviously a pretty big deal. Um, you think maybe he's like a Jesus figure or a God figure to these people, um, but there's a lot of real the first of many religious overtones that you might come across in this game, and of course, to be uh, to gain entrance to the city, you must be baptized. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Um, you explain to this preacher guy, like, "Hey, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be baptized. Look, I'm just trying to get into the city." But of course, he's not. He's not having it. You got to be baptized. You got to be dunked in the water to go into the city. So, kind of weird already. Um, and you might be thinking, you know, America. No, we're not that religious one way or another. You know, we have this uh, separation of church and state. Right? Right, guys? Well, Mm -hmm, (laughs) that's fraught with controversy. You might remember reciting the Pledge of Allegiance that we tried to start off the show with. They have that little little line there, under God, just chilling in there. Well, that was added in the 50s (laughs) when we had the whole red scare beef with those godless communists across the ocean. Um, This country wasn't really founded on Christian principles. I'll, I'll just say that. The Founding Fathers believed in God, obviously, but they were deists, meaning they believed that God created the earth and heaven, and then he just sat back to watch it spin, with no active role in the events down here. It's also important to note that being a man of faith wasn't a prerequisite for holding public office, or even voting. What was most important to them at the time of the Constitution's writing was that A, you owned land, and B, you were a white dude. So <laughs> that's
1: it's really all, all they right. cared about.
0: But what has happened in the years since our country's founding has been a perversion of our founding documents. You might know from the Bill of Rights that we have freedom of religion in our 50 nifty United States, and it's literally the first amend, amendment to the Constitution, which reads as follows, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And of course, it goes on to do the free speech part, of course, but that in and of itself is profound because the first words of the first 10 amendments to the constitution were, hey guys, we're not going to force anyone to follow any particular religion, but hey, what we say and what we do are often two different things. So that I think, concludes my little rant on that. <laughs> I think
1: that oftentimes when we talk about the constitution, we forget the definition of amendment, Yeah, which is like, liter- it's, it means that we changed something. So mm-hmm. something was bad and we were like, we need to fix it. So the original Constitution was like, no, this religion, like, no, you're not allowed to talk out against us, like, <laughs> stuff like that. Like, we had to go back and be like, okay, you're free to do this, and you're free to do that, and you're free to do this, fine. But they were amendments, so they weren't the original plan. Yeah, And that's that's important well, to remember when it comes to our founding fathers. The other thing, too, is yeah. like,
2: the Bill of Rights, if I'm not mistaken, was written just like 10, 15 years after yep. the United States is founded. 1790-ish.
1: Yeah. That's still a long time for them to be like,
2: maybe we should change some stuff. Well, but at the same time, like it's short enough where it's the same people that are deciding that, oh, maybe we should change something.
1: <laughs> and to be fair, there's a we generation were still at war. there who grows up and is like For
2: sure, for sure. But like it's not like the founding fathers were in their like 60s or 70s when they like founded the US. It was like No, a couple I mean, years but older. here's yeah.
1: here's the hot and spicy about the founding fathers is they did this shit when they were in their 20s. Like, they America was formed by people who were in their 20s and like 30s. They weren't old men, right? They were wearing white wigs and all of the paintings, but yeah, they weren't old the wigs, men, Alex. So, if, so you got to think if you're 20 or you're like 30 when like things are happening, 15 years later, you're right, you're only going to be like 45 max. Yeah, but the people who were like 10 or even five are now the age that you were when you got the goddamn country to be a country so like a whole generation walks in and is like hey we need to make some changes here yeah let's make some amendments and the old guys are like yeah good point yeah i think i think
2: the thing though that gets me is the when we're relating it back to like bioshock infinite is the hypocrisy of (laughs) like of of a society being like we want america as it was attended with no changes oh uh, yeah that's the point i was
1: making too yeah
2: and then it's like okay cool the same people like just as the founding fathers wanted it's like okay the founding fathers also voted to change it so mm-hmm.
1: well <laughs> good job and more interesting <laughs> and to your point uh the things that people always shout the people who want america to stay exactly how it was or believe that it was better before the stuff that they always shout are literal amendments Like they are like, don't change the stuff we already changed. Don't change it. (laughs) And it's like, first off, we're not trying to change it. But second off, if we were trying to change it, that's kind of the whole point. Yeah, it's supposed to be a living document. That is a huge part about it.
2: I don't remember who it was, but I remember there was like an early U.S. president who believed that the Constitution should be
1: every Thomas Jefferson, every 20 years. Should be Thomas Jefferson and John Han or John Hancock. It was one of the two. Where like, we need them. to, yeah. we yeah. need to burn it every. Yeah, like yeah. They 10 said years. they should
2: shred it and burn it every twenty years and rewrite it from the ground up, so that exactly. way they don't enforce generational tyranny.
1: Yeah, generational tyranny was the fear. Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Man, if only they were around now, they'd be rolling in their graves.
1: <laughs> now, if I try to shred the Constitution, I go to federal prison. This is bullshit.
0: <laughs> Double standard, much? <laughs> But yeah, I mean, George Washington had a, a lot of good ideas too, um, but we're not listening to him, are we? Uh,
1: so He said, hey, what if you guys didn't have a two-party system? Hey, like, what if presidents only stayed for four years and then no more? <laughs> two terms?
0: Nah, let's have two parties and only two parties, and let's enforce that by changing the voting <laughs> system too. Anyways, it's messed up. We know it. That's it's American history in a nutshell, really, though. Yeah. Um, so the baptizer guy, this this guy, this preacher man that I was talking about, uh, he opens with the classic line from Bioshock One. If you remember, one of the first lines that the splicer says, when you see him from the bathysphere, he says, Is it someone new? Like mm. they're just <laughs> they're just handing the shit out right now. <laughs> <laughs> they're just throwing out these little sprinkles, like this is still a Bioshock game. This is still a Bioshock game. So, um, Booker's like, no, I'm just trying to enter the city. I'm not like a holy roller. I don't need to be baptized. But I'm a good Christian boy, so I'll point out that uh, this isn't a traditional baptism, or at least in the mm-hmm. Christian faith. So he says, I baptize you in the name of our prophet, the name of our founders, and in the name of our Lord. Um, And I should also pr- point out this preacher is uh, visibly blind, which is uh, yet another very poignant metaphorical occurrence. Um, remember how I said America is we're we're blind to the actual history of our country. So mm-hmm. something to keep in the back of your head, but, uh, there's something symbolic about this act of being baptized because it's emphasized that it's the way that we, we wash our, our original sin away using this, this special water. Um, in the game, it's kind of symbolic of being reborn. It's, it's a rebirth. You're reborn in, in Jesus and, uh, specifically the cycle of life and death. It's an ongoing theme throughout this game. Cycles are very big. Mm -hmm. and once again it's compounded by the fact that they're literally saying in the background of this giant cathedral will the circle be unbroken (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) so once again it's just shouting these huge plot points on your deaf ears and I (laughs) tell you (laughs) you just owe it to yourself to replay this game once again if you've already played it once go back and replay it because it's kind of like the first time you eat it, it's like plain vanilla ice cream. It's pretty good. You know, you can enjoy it. But now, let me tell you, you can have chocolate chunks. You can have bananas. You can have chocolate syrup on top. And oh, 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 a cherry on top? It all works together <laughs> just to make the second playthrough, the Sunday of playthroughs, so much better. And I realize I'm I'm gushing about this game now, but it's literally one of my favorite games of all time. And it's truly a Sunday that you can just keep eating over and over and over again and never get tired of it. Um me personally I've played it I think three full times through. Maybe four. Four. Um <laughs> uh but so we, you, you get baptized, the the preacher man holds you down a little too long, so you black out. Um I don't think you drown, maybe you do. Uh but you have this weird dream in the process. You black out. You wake up in the office of private investigation, which is like Booker's office. Everything's in black and white. And you hear somebody banging on the door and saying the classic line, bring us the girl and wipe away the debt. Clearly, this is some sort of flashback to Booker before he arrived in Columbia. And there's uh, this, it's kind of a dingy office. There's there's uh, booze bottles scattered everywhere. There's lottery tickets. So you can tell this guy's having kind of a rough time. Um And maybe why he's so desperate to take on a job like finding this girl and bringing her back to New York. It's really just desperation at the end of the day. So eventually you have to go and open the door. And what you see before you is New York being attacked by Columbia and judging by the buildings it's sometime after 1930. Because there's, you know, the Empire State Building and the Chrysler Building but you're like, what the hell, (laughs) this is clearly not right. Something's happening here. So then you, you come to, and you're surrounded by those big old three marble statues that I mentioned before. Um, and you walk out and you get your first real taste of what this city is and it's downright beautiful. There's like this violin soundtrack that happens as soon as you Mm -hmm. drop into the main city square and you're just like, "Ah, wow, this is really pretty. This is really something special. Um, there's there's a building floating down. It's docking with like the main street because that's how the city is, I guess. Uh, it's some sort of like haberdasher or shoe shop, um, but it's just it's incredibly beautiful. And the it has like this placid blue skies and there's far off buildings floating in the clouds, and it's it's just it's just insane. So you make your way down. You're uh, you're making your way to this fair. You know, there's a raffle fair. There's some sort of festival going on. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's the founder's day festival is what it's called. It's, it's celebrating the day that Columbia seceded from the union as explained by a parade float as it floats by you. Um, there's a moment when you see a poster warning citizens about the false shepherd. Mm-hmm. And as you find out, you are the false shepherd.
2: <laughs> yeah. Cause isn't this, there, there's a poster that has <laughs> yeah. like, beware the letters AD. Yep. And that's Booker's it. just got AD just fucking branded onto the back of his hand. And Booker, Booker's not not a smart guy. <laughs> no. So he's just like... But
1: he's real oh. good at
2: catch. So he's just like, he's good at oh, that's weird. And then he doesn't cover it up at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was like, nope, That'd I'm going to walk through this whole
2: city of people that are looking specifically for me. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> he's a... Uh... More more brawn than brains, shall yeah. we put it like that? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you see this poster, it's like a claw, like a devilish claw with AD on right the back. It's like, beware of the false shepherd. And of course, that's more religious symbolism. I hopefully don't have to explain that to you. But as um, so you look down, you see this tattoo, you're like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he is so, oh that's interesting yeah so you go out of the fairgrounds you're introduced to your special power-ups which are similar to plasmids except in this particular game they are called vigors yeah so there you go you can shoot fire out of your hands you know the standard stuff as you could in the original bioshock
2: yeah my favorite's the one where you can just like throw everyone in a line up into the air <laughs> And, yeah, like, they have you do bronco. the whole, like... F- one of my favorite things that they do to, like, introduce these, like, beginner, like, uh, vigors is they mm-hmm. have you play carnival games yep. with the different yep. vigors as yeah, the tutorial. Just... Mm. And it's all optional. It's all optional, which is one of the best oh, parts. Yeah. So, it's like, you can completely skip it, but if you really want to get into it, it's so much fun.
0: It's like, other games should be taking notes right now because this is how you do a tutorial level. <laughs> yeah. Make it optional. <laughs> make it optional. Don't railroad them into one particular path. It's just, mm-hmm. like... Here's all this stuff you can yeah. look at it if you want, or yeah. you can just speed run. Yeah, it's a tutorial made for world building, not just for gameplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so it's within this fair that you get introduced to like uh, a couple of the guns. There's the Voxophone, which is like audio diaries from the original games. Those are back, and then you get introduced to the the main bad guy, or the I wouldn't say they're bad guys, but they're they're the antagonists to Columbia's forces, and they're known as the Vox Populi. Mm-hmm. Which are which is you know literally translated from Latin is voice of the people. Mm-hmm. So another interesting little thing there. Um, Does
1: vox machina mean voice of God? No, it
0: means voice machine. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Latin just sounds cool. I mean, if you say it wrong, you summon a demon. But if you say it right, you sound awesome.
1: They were recording a podcast and they named themselves Voice Machine. <laughs> yeah. That is the dopest shit I've ever heard. What
2: are, what are each of them at the end of the day? Just different little voice machines. Incredible. Mm-hmm.
0: I think we should change our name to uh, Vox Entertainee. Nah. I don't know what entertainment nah. would be in Latin. Enter- you just assumed it was entertaining. <laughs> yeah, Find out, because we're still
1: looking for a group name for Project Icosa.
0: I know, we'll call it Vox Entertainee. <laughs>
1: no, I don't think we need to do Vox anything without being called out for it. but
0: Damn it. Um... And then also there's these uh, there's the little Nickelodeons, which are, <laughs> it's an old school word for something you look into and then you see like a little movie playing. So those give you like the newsreels and stuff like that. Just little things you can discover throughout the game. Um, salts are introduced, which they power the vigors. They're kind of like Eve in the Bioshock games, um, but they're called salts in reference to smelling salts, which um, were used to revive people when they fainted. So back in the day, women used to wear these really tight corsets and it would squeeze their insides. And then, of course, that would cause you to pass out. So they revived them with smelling salts, which is like a ammonia salt solution. And you smell it and you go, Ooh, it's really bad, really bad mm-hmm. smelling. Um, very in vogue for the time, very historically accurate. Uh, but these fairgrounds are just like just hints of what's to come in the, in the in the game. So. Eventually you get your ticket to the raffle by using a superpower called uh, possession on a machine uh, possession allows you to control the machine and it will fight on your side for a minute. Um, so you get your, you get your little ball. It's the number 77, which is what you shouldn't have picked because of a telegram that warns you about that. But so you got two things going for you. You got the AD and you got the 77. It's like, dude, you're going to get discovered at some point. What are you doing? But, um, there's these weird twins that stop you at the gate. uh, they look like twins because they're dressed the same uh they're they sound very proper when they talk, so you know it's kind of weird to be in Colombia talking like that, but uh they ask you to flip a coin and you can either choose heads or tails it's It's up to you, the player, to choose this. So you call it out and you um you say tails," and the coin lands and it's it's uh it's heads. Or one of the two, I can't remember which, but basically <laughs> one of the guys is wearing this big uh, chalkboard and it has a ton of uh, tally marks for heads and none for tails.
1: It's the illusion of choice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Once again, we're having a free will debate. Um, but yeah, it's just <laughs> like, why do we even choose? It's just going to land on tails anyway. Who cares? Um, so... We get this we get this baseball, we get the raffle, and there's a guy up on stage and he's saying, "Welcome to the world's, not the world's Fair, but welcome to the founders festival or whatever. And you know, you get the number and you get to you get to pick the baseball. it's oh number seventy seven, you're it's your lucky number. And the prize is uh, a first baseball throw at a um a a mixed race couple who has been bound and placed on mm. a stage. I remember this. With super racist imagery all around them, you can look this up with African-American stereotypes. I won't describe it because it's <laughs> downright obscene. Yeah, it's, and it's not
1: obscene, up. but upsetting as well.
0: Yeah. Um, so they're tied up, and then you get to throw the ball. And this is your first choice. First choice of the game. You get to choose to throw the ball at this couple, or you get to throw it at the announcer guy. Um, so <laughs> obviously any rational person would throw it at the announcer because he's being a racist dick, right? Um, so you do that, but then you're stopped mid-throw because he notices that you have the AD mark on your hand. And this is when all hell breaks loose. So you're like, all right, we got some combat coming here. So it's very gruesome <laughs> how it starts because you throw the ball up in the air to distract these two security guards that are attacking you. One of them has a skyhook, which is like that fidget spin that we were talking about. He starts spinning it like he's going to attack you. And the other... <laughs> the other guy gets his face smashed into the sky hook, and blood goes everywhere. It's very gruesome. Um, so you're off for off for a very good time already. Um, so that's your first choice in the game because you're you're discovered as the false shepherd, and you get the combat. So you make your way to Monument Island, which is where Elizabeth, your the woman you're trying to rescue, is uh, is being held. And that's when things are kicked into 12th gear because once you're inside the monument, you see all this electrical equipment, medical stuff, and you'll have to wonder, what are they doing to this poor young woman? And why? Well, it turns out Elizabeth has the power to manipulate time and space in the form of those tears that we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. And tears are basically these uh, holes when two universes are close together together which I
1: think this is how I explained away the beach boy thing when I was a kid was like, Oh, they heard it through a tear, obviously,
0: which they did. That's exactly right. Yeah. So the two universes are close together and there's this hole that connects them and they can be in the same time period or they can not be in the same time period. doesn't really matter because you know how time space is. <laughs> um. So Elizabeth can manipulate these tears and she can, uh, Booker actually witnesses this when he goes to rescue her from the tower because she opens a tear to Paris sometime in the 1980s. And you hear like, uh, I think everybody wants to rule the world
1: <laughs> in the yeah. background. And you're like, something awesome.
0: What the f- <laughs> Cause it's 1912. What the hell is going on? And it ends with the, the <laughs> fire truck barreling towards the tear. And you're like, Oh, so Elizabeth closes the tear. Um, Clearly, you can see she's kind of struggling to open it. That's because there's a there's a giant electrical siphon. It's kind of like limiting her powers, um, so she can't like have the full power of the the tears. But uh, the fire truck <laughs> narrowly gets. Uh, you gotta wonder what they see on the other side, you know? Like they <laughs> see some chick chilling in a room. But, anyways, there is a there's a little problem with breaking her out of this tower because. Uh, there's a little something called the songbird and the songbird is tasked with keeping Elizabeth safe and secured in the tower. So you start thinking in the back of your head, like, yeah, this is going to be a boss battle. I can already tell, but, uh, nope, you manage to escape and the songbird tears the entire monument. Island statue to bits.
1: (laughs) It's important to state that the songbird is fucking huge.
0: Huge. Yeah. He's not like a little, you know, Tweety bird that you can hold on your hand. He's giant bird. He's at least like 12 feet long, I think. And the wingspan is like, uh, mm, let's say the size of a bus, (laughs) to put it in perspective. But he's a really big bird. He's a mechanical. He screeches and he goes, or whatever he does. But it's- uh, That was very good. Thank you. Uh, We've been working on it. (laughs) But eventually he he chases you out and you just jump right off the tower, hoping that there's uh, a skyline, you know, those rails in the sky. It's mm-hmm. not the chili. Um, hope there's a skyline underneath you. So, you know, of course there is. <laughs> so you get on it, you get your fidget spinner out, you start riding it. And the, the songbird's like trying to attack you all the while you're doing this. And then eventually he just chops the skyline in half and you fall into the ocean. So that's... <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's how you die. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you fall into the ocean and you wake up on a beach. And... You know, you wake up once again, or you have a dream state where you're once again in Booker's office, but this time Elizabeth is there, and you just met this woman. So, what's she doing in your dreams?
1: What's she doing?
0: <laughs> Sometimes it's like that, I guess. But um, they're pounding on the door. Bring us the girl, wife with This this whole thing again. Open up the door, and you're like saying you're like half dazed, and you're saying Anna. Yeah, well, who's Anna? What what is he talking? Maybe it's maybe it's Booker's wife. You know, you don't really know at this point. Um, it's just kind of this weird thing where like okay it's just a throwaway thing I don't know but uh, you wake up on the beach and then you have this moment of pure joy when Elizabeth is dancing on the the pier and there's this happy music playing and you have to interrupt it because you got places to be but what if you didn't (laughs) (laughs) it's just one of those things that lives in my head rent free like maybe she's still dancing out there I don't know before the shit hit the fan who knows um <laughs> so you get up on the boardwalk and uh this is the I guess second, third musical Easter egg, if you want to call it that. Because uh, there's a there's a calliope, which is basically like an organ. You've heard it before. do do, do does that thing. And so
1: uh, like it goes
0: <laughs> something like that. But uh if you if you recognize the tune, it's Girls Just Wanna Have Fun. Yep. By Cindy Lauper. <laughs> released in 1984 so you're like "Mm." (laughs) this makes me uncomfortable i'm not sure why uh and i I see we're running low on time here (laughs) i don't know if i can get through all the plot (laughs) because there's so much more to talk about
1: do you want to do a part two
0: should we do a part two? I'm down for a part two. Is there two. enough to there, do a part there's two? There's a lot more to this game. There's so much more shit. I only got through think, the waking up on the beach section.
1: <laughs> I think we're gonna have to do a part two. <gasps> well,
0: there you go. There's next month's episode.
1: I'm <laughs> <laughs> gonna make them wait till next month. I guess that is how I did. Uh, you know what? This is the last Bioshock game. I think it deserves a two-parter. It does. Two-parter.
0: So I'll just leave it there. Um, it'll
1: be next month.
0: It'll be. Out we'll next leave it month.
1: on. We'll leave it how everyone should, how we should have left civilization on Cindy Lopert's Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Girls
0: just want to have fun. (laughs) That's where we peaked. Everyone, America peaked in 1984, I'll say that much.
1: Maybe Maybe we can all agree on that.
0: (laughs) Musically, definitely.
1: Well, when we come back, quick this. Hey, we're back. That's my favorite because it's always so jarring. (laughs) When we edit, you put in the little musical thing, right? Yep. In between the and we'll be right back. The reason we do that is because eventually we're gonna put either ads or like when we start our new show, like that's where we're gonna put the promo for our new show and stuff like that. So there's a reason that's there. Project Icosa.
0: What what do you do there?
1: We talk about uh, D and D. Now we we're it's a real play uh, or an actual play podcast where we play D and D.
0: Thanks, thanks for the plug.
1: You're welcome. That's the plug. <laughs> now back to your regularly scheduled entertainment, and then do another musical thing.
0: There's yeah? <laughs> too many musicals.
1: Okay, hey, we're back. Uh, I have a quick this for us this week. <gasps> do you? I do, and I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, and I'm going to hopefully make it spoiler free. But first. I need a timer. As you boys know, I'm a fan of superhero movies. Are you? Specifically, Spider-Man movies. No. And a little bit less specifically, Marvel movies. (laughs) I have not been impressed by DC in a very, very, very long time. And I think actually the last time that I was impressed by DC, it was like two Supermans ago. And I don't mean (laughs) Superman movies, I mean physical Superman people who played superman. Yeah. Mm. Um and it was like a a time-based superman movie that took place like back in the golden age of comic books, which mm. was like the 1960s. That was a good movie. I liked that. So uh, imagine my shock and awe after what seemed like a dry spell in DC movie making that they come out with The Batman. Ooh, please do not spoil. I have not seen yet. There will be no spoilers in this review, do I need but to I go will see be it? today. Reviewing the Batman. We'll see. Let's see what you think (laughs) after uh, I I give you my brief review of the Batman. Good. So we are once again taken to the dark city of Gotham as this time Robert Patterson takes on the cowl uh, of our Dark Knight Batman. You know what a cowl is, right? That face. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It it took me a
2: second.
1: Well, the cowl is like the eye part and the ears part that's the cowl yeah. oh. and famously uh i think it was i don't know who it yeah. was but he had like a full like neck cowl so like when he <laughs> turned his head he was like doing full body like <laughs> motions it's incredible there's yeah. a super cut it I, on I YouTube. Know, you i know i know what a out. cowl
2: is i just like i i had to get more context to to get the understanding
1: <laughs> yes so this time robert patterson is um is donning the cowl and cape um I said Patterson, it's Pattinson. Pattinson. Um, is, is donning the cowl in the cape and fighting crime in Gotham. But this time, it's less about the punching and killing, killing? The, b- the punching, beating up, and arresting. God, so many things
0: wrong. <laughs> Very good.
1: <laughs> I love it. Michael, your statement just now made me want to stop in my tracks and not do any more. <laughs> <laughs> like any steam that I had for this quick miss has just been destroyed. Go for it. Go, go see for the Batman. You, you can no, only we're go off from here. I'm okay, great. Fun. <laughs> so, uh, this time it's more of a private eye noir detective movie. Ooh. Um, so, it's about the brains as well as the bronze of Batman. Um, he, he's facing off against the Riddler, and this Riddler was advertised as being a serial killer like Mm. that is what they said he is facing off against the serial killer the riddler which is pretty wild because the only image i had in my head of the riddler before here was jim carrey's (laughs) the riddler yeah which was like wild but it is a scary movie uh watching it there are moments that are thrilling there are moments that are just scary the bad guy is creepy But the more you learn and as you're trying to also piece this together, because it's still a noir film, you're Uh like, I kind of see where he's coming from. You're trying to guess the end. Um, And I will say that in the final act, the last action the bad guy takes is one that no other uh, Batman supervillain had ever thought to do or that I even knew was an option. And it is huge. And as a special effect, it is incredible. Um, So that's something to look forward to. But what I really want to talk about, what I really, really want to talk about is, now that you have the context of the Batman mm-hmm. movie, there's an ARG that goes along with it. No Ooh. way. And we all know, your boy's a bitch for an ARG. Yeah, he is. For those of you who don't remember, uh, augmented reality games, or ARGs, are games that take place both in the world of fiction and the world of nonfiction because they kind of interlude between each other. Mm-hmm. Now Batman's done this before. There was an ARG that went along with um, the dark Knight. Um and it was more along the lines of like the Joker and stuff that he was doing. Mm-hmm. And it went so far as to have an actual like Harvey Dent uh, press conference that happened where like it got attacked and like shit was happening. And the only way you could get to that or know where it was going to be was by playing this ARG. Well, there is a use of a cipher in the Batman that you have to actually decode in order to read hidden messages that he sent out on a website that is actually mentioned in the movie. Um, There's an after credit scene that'll tell you that website again. That's the only spoiler you're going to get is that the after credit scene is just a website. Hmm. Um, But by playing through this, there is a hint to who the next villain that uh, Robert Pattinson may face off against will be. And I will absolutely not spoil that. But I suggest you see the Batman, play the ARG, have a good time, good country, Q102. That's my quick this.
0: Nice. <laughs> Almost exactly five. Yeah. <laughs> Was it? Yeah. We're getting into this. That's wild because I, like I
1: had I had no reference as to how long it had been. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice.
1: Excellent. Well, boys, another one. Uh Another one under our belts and another part one. I'm excited for part two. (laughs) Part two is going to get really (laughs) (laughs) wild. Here's the thing. It got wild in part one because we are passionate about American history and the understanding of American history. (laughs) No, we didn't say that. We do like America. America has a lot of growing up (laughs) to do. but surely we'll finish it in a part two. But until then, if there's anything that you want to hear us talk about, there are a couple ways that you can reach out to us. The best way is to go to our website, www.entertainthis.net. Scroll all the way to the bottom. There's a little questionnaire that you can fill out. Or you can go to www.projecticosa.com and scroll all the way to the bottom. Oh. And the survey will be there, too, wow. to fill out. Because they both link to our website right now. Bananas. Um, which is pretty cool. Uh, The Project Icosa page will be coming to our website shortly. That's something that we're still working on. Uh, Or also, you could email us. We are entertainthispodcasts at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter. We are entertain underscore this. You can find us on Instagram. We are entertainthispodcast on Facebook. We're podcast entertainthis. And until next time, entertain us so we can entertain you. And you can go to www.projecticosa.com and get hyped about our new show. See you next Friday. Goodbye! Bye! I don't know what to do with entertain my hands. This. <laughs> entertain this.
0: This episode of Entertain This was written by me, Nick Mustikangas, with additional commentary from Alex Steele and Michael Savoya. Our showrunner and resident fact checker is Chloe Price. Our theme music is Rush Bubble by Aaron Spencer, with interstitial music by DJ W. Tune in every Friday for new episodes, and thanks for listening.